Real news. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is August 6, 2020. Boy, that's about almost one third of the month has already gone by. Speedy, fast, and hot. And crazy, crazy things are heating up like uh, nobody's business. Uh, today, we're going to cover a few things. And uh, more so, I think it's going to be us understanding uh, what's really happening right now. Uh, what is happening in the background that we're not paying attention to. And, uh, you know, talking about General Flynn's letter to the people kind of sounds like what we've been saying here on air for the past two weeks. Um, oh, whoa. Um, so, hold on. Let me just um, play this clip about President Trump and Twitter, and I'll be right back. On David, what is the latest on this standoff? Sandra, the White House insists that big tech is picking on President Trump. This is a narrative the White House and the Trump team have been pushing for several months right now. It's the first time Facebook has ever done anything like this, completely pulling down a post. Meanwhile, Twitter has put up warnings over the past few months about some misinformation. Twitter froze the Trump campaign account until it removed a video. Now, the controversial posts surround a comment the president made on Fox and Friends yesterday morning. Both social media giants argue what the president said was misinformation about kids contracting COVID-19. Listen. This thing's going away. It will go away like things go away. And my view is that school should be open. If you look at children, children are almost, and I would almost say definitely, but almost immune from this disease. Okay, in a statement to Fox News, Facebook writing this video includes false claims that a group of people is immune from COVID-19, which is a violation of our policies around harmful misinformation. Twitter writing the at Team Trump tweet you referenced is in violation of the Twitter rules on COVID-19 misinformation. The account owner will be required to remove the tweet before they can tweet again. Now, the Trump campaign firing back, responding in part, quote, the president was stating a fact that children are less susceptible to the coronavirus. Another day, another display of Silicon Valley's flagrant bias against the president. Sandra, expect to see more of a uh, pull and tug between the Trump campaign and big tech, especially over the next few months. Both of these organizations seem to be getting more aggressive. Sandra. All right, guys. Sorry about that. That was important that we that we that we take note that President Trump is fighting back. We're going to listen to it because I wasn't paying attention to it. So we're going to play it again and I'll show you why. And I'll tell you why. So just now outside my window, I saw everything because the president's coming. Right. So I just said hello. So I'll show it to you guys. Um, that's why I was like, whoa, what happened here? Because uh, uh, like I said, I, I, I see everything. I man here take a look you can hear the audio in the back hold on there you go look at that so 
that's right outside my window, guys. So it's the four helicopters coming in, uh, taking care of everything because the president's going to be landing soon. And I was like, hey, I was just waving from the window and taking video. Pretty awesome, right? Um, because I saw it from the corner of my eye. Now I, I'm constantly looking out my window ever since the window watcher just appeared. And I was just like, yo. So I, I watch everything. So I saw them coming by and it's really exciting. I'm really disappointed that I'm not going there uh, today. But, you know, God has his ways, right? So, you know, I have to say, you know, both of us, Millie's really busy on getting this um, video done because we need to get it done. Because as I was saying, and we're going to revisit that video with President Trump talking about Twitter and Facebook because it's very important. It's a marker. Uh the 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 thing that uh, General Flynn put out yesterday, and I'm going to read it to those of you that are listening, um, and I'll have it on the screen for those that are watching. It is very important that we take control. I've said this. Uh, you know, prayer is super important. Nothing happens without prayer, but we actually have to do things. We actually have to do things. And a lot of people feel like, you know, they've been castrated. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right. What is it that I can do to help? And that's on a local level, you guys. Local level. Everything can be done. We have to take care of the peripheries. We have to go forward with the peripheries. We have to. That's city councils, school councils, mayors, your secretary of states, your attorney generals, your state senators, your state reps, all of them. You have to be there. You are going to be the party. That is the revolution. And you're going to see it happen. So right now, what we need to do is stand up. No more. You know, they took one sticker off my car in the rain. I got two. So today there's going to be one on the front and one on the back. Nobody should be able to shut us up. You should wear it with pride. You shouldn't be worried about, oh my gosh, someone's going to take me out. Now, because I'm concerned about people coming in really hard and heavy at, uh, you know, where they're just going to be protesting. There's no point in two women hanging out with a bunch of crazy people because the people are crazy and they are armed. Remember, you know, you think Chicago is bad. This city is bad, too. So, uh, that's, that's something that we have to, uh, kind of, uh, (laughs) really focus on. Speaking of guns, we'll talk about what happened to, uh, you know, our beloved James O'Keefe. And I've told you about this of my friend, Raheem Williams. He was on the show maybe two years ago, 2019. I had him in February. I had him on where we were talking about rights, economics, you know, and just, I should have him back on. He's from North Dakota. He is an amazing speaker and he was actually refused to get guns and he's never been, he's not a felon. He's never been in trouble. And he went through the whole process to get his name removed from the list, which is pretty incredible. Now, you're right, Freedom Rings. We need to organize an act. But how do we organize? Just by standing up for ourselves. So let's get right to General Flynn's letter out to you. And you're going to be like, man, Tori, we were talking about this. Yes, we were. Because it's about that time. And he just put it out. He told us exactly what we have to do. And so um, General Flynn writes, we are witnessing a vicious assault by enemies of all that is good. And our president is having to act in ways unprecedented in decades, maybe centuries. The biblical nature of good versus evil cannot be discounted as we examine what is happening on the streets of America. 
It's Marxism in the form of Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement versus our very capable and underappreciated law enforcement professionals, the vast majority of whom are fighting to provide us safe and secure homes, streets, and communities. When the destiny of the United States is at stake, and it is, the very future of the entire world is threatened. As Christians, should we act? We recognize that divine providence is the ultimate judge of our destiny. Achieving our destiny as a freedom-loving nation, providence compels us to do our part in our communities. And just a parenthesis here, in all religion, that is the epitome, right? That we should be doing our part in the communities in any religion, okay? He continues, it encourages us. It encourages us in this battle against the forces of evil to face our fears head on. No enemy on earth is stronger than the united forces of God-fearing, freedom-loving people. We can no longer pretend that these dark forces are going to go away by mere prayer alone. Prayers matter, but action is required. This action is needed at local, state, and federal levels. Action is also required in the economic, media, clerical, and ecclesiastical realms. Yes, thank you for talking about churches. Decide how you can act within your abilities. Stand up and state your beliefs. Be proud of who you are and what you stand for. And face head-on those community leaders who are willing to allow dark forces to go beyond peaceful protests and destroy and violate your safety and security. Churches and houses of worship must return to normal. We invite everyone of goodwill to not shirk their responsibilities and instead act in a fraternal fashion. If for no other reason or with no other ability, act in a spirit of charity. We cannot disrespect or disregard natural law along with our religious liberties and freedoms. I am witnessing elderly people lose their connection to all that is good in their lives. Connections to their faith, their families, and their individual freedoms, especially the simple act of attending church, something they've been doing for decades. Let us not be intimidated or fear those who cry out that we are the minority. We are not. Good is always, always more powerful and will prevail over evil. However, evil will succeed for a time when good people are divided from each other and their personal lives, children away from their teachers, preachers from their congregations, customers from their local businesses. America will never give in to evil. Americans work together to solve problems. We do not and should not ever allow anarchy and the evil forces behind it to operate on any street in our nation. No one should have to fear for their very life because some dark, disturbed force is challenged by the very essence of what America stands for. We are one nation under God, and it is our individual liberties that make us strong, not liberties given to our government. Our government has no liberty unless and until we the people say so. God bless America. Let's stand by everything that was and is good in our lives, in our communities and in our countries. Otherwise, America, as the true North Star for humanity, will cease to exist as we know it. Now that, 
for me, was impeccable. He couldn't have said it better. So much better. So much better. It was just impeccable. But we've been saying this too. Right here. Right here in, in, uh, on, on the radio, we've been talking about this. How you can actually do something. That something is very important. No matter how small it is. Remember, uh, Harriet Tubman wouldn't have uh, you know, uh, gotten the slaves to go if there wasn't someone there uh, giving, giving her water or buying her shoes or gathering with her, building a door. For, you know, everybody plays a part. We always forget the real heroes. The heroes that you know, aren't the ones that are martyred. The, the heroes are you. And it starts with small things. Like walking outside and someone tells you Black Lives Matter and you tell them, go back to school, man. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, that's me. I don't suggest you go out and instigate. But that's me. You know, this is this is the reality. We have to get up. I, I, a month and a half ago, I said you have to start rising up. You have to start talking. You have to not being not be scared. Okay, so what? Somebody trashes my card. That's great. I got insurance. I want to get rid of it anyway. Reminds me of someone I don't like. So I'd love to get rid of it. Seriously, <laughs> I really do want to get rid of my car. So um, I'm just saying, like all of us, right, should band together. Look how many people sit down and have conversations online virtually. Uh, There's tons of us. (laughs) And I know that the new party, the United Party, will rise after the elections. The point is, let's get to that point. Because this coup, they've stepped it up. It wasn't supposed to happen yet, but that already happened. See, the president's Twitter wasn't supposed to be taken offline uh, until... Uh, the end of August, okay, when things got hot. The fact that they got onto it now, ooh, they stepped up the timeline. Could it be because they're trying to uh, throw things through, um, you know, to step it up because they know what's coming? I mean, they're already mitigating after Millie dropped that preview, uh, dropping little hints of raw data, dropping little things like maybe the military needs to get together and figure out a plan of how to get President Trump out. Then they're saying the president being in the White House during the Democratic National Convention is uh A violation of some... Come on, man. Like, are we kidding? And we're going to sit by and let them do it? No. No. Every time you see someone like that, you put them in their place. What? You might get smacked in the face? So be it. Is that something that bothers you? I mean, I'm not saying go out there and get yourself hurt. You know what I mean, right? Stand up. You know? If you don't stand for something, you fall for anything. My, my daughter was telling me about some, I was talking about all these YouTube influencers that are being raided by the FBI. And some guy named Jake Paul, uh, his mansion was raided. He wasn't there. So then they went to some other guy's mansion that's pink and has a bunch of girls that are degrading themselves in bikinis to paint a mansion. It's so, ugh, so cringy uh, that people would, you know, just anyway. 
So they're rating all these stars. And I was like, wow. And she's like, you know, there was this girl um, on TikTok. She's like, she has more followers than President Trump. She's like so influential. So they started the cancel culture on her, pulling out tweets that she talked about the president and about conservatism and all that stuff. And she sat there and my daughter was like, I'm really disappointed because, you know, she could have said, so what? Instead, she said, yeah, you know, I didn't know much then. I wasn't educated. She bowed down. When she has that much power of billions of people following her, she bowed down when she could have taken a stand. Self-preservation. She's worried about her money and everything. And this is why he will take it all away. You know, I remember when my father was telling me, so you're going, they're, they're sending you to these law classes. He goes, you don't want to be a lawyer. Uh, and I was like, well, I just have to take these classes because they told me to. And... um he says, you know, if ever you were a lawyer, you have to be a granola munching lawyer. I was like, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I just have to take this law class, you know, these, th- this whole session. I have to do it for whatever. So stop. And he was like, I'm just going to tell you, if you ever make a dollar by stepping on somebody's neck, it's going to come. He's going to take it away from you. All of it. All of it. He's going to take every penny away from you. You will not enjoy any penny. And... This is exactly what happens when you go in with self-preservation, which is innate. You know, other people are like, what's wrong with taking care of my family? There's nothing wrong with taking care of your family. That's not self-preservation, okay? Self-preservation is allowing evil to fester because you want to make sure you're comfortable. See, nobody likes to do things that they're uncomfortable with. Okay. Nobody likes to do anything. If I'm uncomfortable, I don't want to do it. You know, that's the way it is. But when you see that, you know, you're just perpetuating and allowing something to happen, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, now I know that I'm going to have to go to a clinic um, and I have some appointments coming up. I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to have the box with me and I'm going to tell them, you know, even if they force me to wear the mask, which I usually just wear across my chin and it's a big Make America Great Again one in red. I'm going to have the box and I'm going to be like, shame on you. You went to school. You can read. This doesn't work. It does not work. I will kick up a fuss and I'm fine with it because I'm going to say my piece because other people are going to hear me too. And that's what counts that the other people are going to hear. It doesn't matter if they snicker, if they do whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Bottom line is they're going to hear it. And they're going to get empowered by it. Not like those wusses that I saw in the supermarket the other day where I was standing in line and I had my MAGA, you know, uh, mask on and they, and they were giving me a silent thumbs up. It's like, nah, man, you should wear yours proud too. Everyone should. What are they going to do? Are they going to beat you up in the supermarket? Are they going to beat you up at the gas station? Are they going to be? No, they're not. There's cameras. They don't want to go to jail. I mean, okay, uh, I'll buy, you know, if you're, in like, you know, the, the areas where people get shot all the time, it would be highly, you know, don't be like me where I'm thumping out Donald Trump by Ryan Upchurch going down East 55th Cleveland. Don't be like me. I will do it because I know that I'm protected. I believe that I'm protected. So I believe in my faith that nothing will happen to me. Even though my daughter is terrified just driving with the Trump stickers, you know, because we get flipped off even on the highway. You're on the highway and people are honking and flipping you off on the highway. Okay. So stand up for what's good because I believe that I'm protected. I, I feel great. Um, so let's, let's, let's revisit this social media thing that I was distracted watching, you know, the entourage fly in, uh, because we need to 
talk about this a little bit because this is very, very important, okay? Um, the fact that they, w- what the president said about Facebook and Twitter deleting uh, Team Trump's post. Okay, let's take a listen to this again. It's Bunt live on the North Lawn. David, what is the latest on this standoff? Sandra, the White House insists that big tech is picking on President Trump. This is a narrative the White House and the Trump team have been pushing for several months right now. It's the first time Facebook has ever done anything like this, completely pulling down a post. Meanwhile, Twitter has put up warnings over the past few months about some misinformation. Twitter froze the Trump campaign account until it removed a video. Now, the controversial posts surround a comment the president made on Fox and Friends yesterday morning. Both social media giants argue what the president said was misinformation about kids contracting COVID-19. Listen. This thing's going away. It will go away like things go away. And my view is that school should be open. If you look at children, children are almost, and I would almost say definitely, but almost immune from this disease. Okay, in a statement to Fox News, Facebook writing this video includes false claims that a group of people is immune from COVID-19, which is a violation of our policies around harmful misinformation. Twitter writing the at Team Trump tweet you referenced is in violation of the Twitter rules on COVID-19 misinformation. The account owner will be required. Okay, listen to this. So when does social media become doctors? When does social media tell us what's right and wrong? When does social media decide what we are allowed and what we are not allowed to look at or tweet? That is a question. And the fact that they took it to that point, yes, please, some me's, bring it. Because this is where it goes. I told you Space Force, cue them soon, cue them soon, because this is it. Exactly. They are now publishers. What rules what, who are you to be the authority on coronavirus? Science is in flux all the time. Who are you to be the authority on coronavirus, Facebook and Twitter? That's the question. And not only the authority, but you have taken the responsibility of censoring our president. You cannot censor my president. That is against the law to remove the tweet before they can tweet again. Now, the Trump campaign firing back, responding in part, quote, the president was stating a fact that children are less susceptible to the coronavirus. Another day, another display of Silicon Valley's flagrant bias against the president. Sandra, expect to see more of a uh, pull and tug between the Trump campaign and big tech, especially over the next few months. Both of these organizations seem to be getting more aggressive. They seem to be getting more aggressive. Good thing I'm on the radio. And you know, you can get yourself a ham radio for like 25 bucks on, on Amazon. One of those handheld ones that look like walkie-talkies, just saying. Speaking of more aggressive, I want to remind you guys something of the power of the people. Um, today, uh, you know, there was a video shared by Big Dave that I saw. We can't go to church, but... We can go to Walmart. So what did people do? They took church to Walmart. Yes, they did. That's what's up. They took church to Walmart. Take a listen to their service in in Walmart. (laughs) 
awesome, right? What, what is Walmart going to do? They're going to kick everybody out? What are they going to do? You're not letting us go to church, so we'll bring church right here. That was awesome. That was awesome. And that is exactly what we should be doing. Standing up for what we believe in. Making our voices heard. The fact that they keep thinking that, you know, Latino Americans, black Americans are all voting for Biden. They're nuts. They're a handful of people. Look at them. They're in their rooms, right? In their bedrooms, in their mom's basements, putting out videos and talking about $14 million. They're paying losers. Losers. Losers that don't want to work. Losers that just want to escape by. Losers that are not thinking about tomorrow. They're just thinking about today. They're not thinking of the tomorrow for their children or their grandchildren. They're thinking of just the today. Kind of like um, this woman over here. Hold on. Let me, let me find it again. I need to find it. Oh, and I had it. Gosh darn it. Um, so let's listen to the Attorney General of New York, Letitia James. She had a hearing today uh, in regards to making an announcement where she filed a lawsuit to dissolve the NRA. <laughs> and I, I can guarantee you that... Well, we'll do it after the break, but I can guarantee you that's probably why James O'Keefe had a problem. They probably put him on the list. The AG does that. I'll see you in a bit. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. Every decision will be made to benefit American workers and American families. America will start winning again, winning like never before. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. Do not allow anyone to tell you that it cannot be done. No challenge can match the heart and fight and spirit of America. We will not fail. Our country will thrive and prosper again. Your voice, your hopes, and your dreams will define our American destiny. When America is united, America is totally unstoppable. After nearly four years, my family's nightmare is finally over. We couldn't have survived this without the love and support of the millions of patriots around the world. Thank you from the bottom of our heart. Hi, I'm Laura Loomer, and I'm running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District. Wouldn't it be horrible if we lived in a nation where journalists were silenced just because they confronted the political and media elite? You might think that could never happen in America, but it did. And to me. For confronting people like Hillary Clinton on her corruption and Ilhan Omar for her ties to radical Islamic terror groups, I have been banned on pretty much every single social media platform. And if that doesn't sound extreme enough, I'm also banned on Uber and Lyft. I know, I cannot understand that last one either. When this all happened to me, I contacted the media and members of Congress. I asked them for help. I kept calling, I kept emailing, but I never received a reply. And that's when it hit me. 
I'm a well-known journalist who has the phone numbers of the most powerful people in politics and media, yet I couldn't get any assistance. What on earth would the average American do if the same thing happened to them? I realized then that if I wanted to see change, that I would need to run for office. The American people deserve representation that listens to and acts on their concerns. So here I am, running for Congress in Florida's 21st Congressional District, because the American people deserve a voice and a representative who, like President Trump, will keep the promises they make and speak up loudly and clearly for that silent majority. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Did I mention that it's August 6, 2020? I think I did. Okay, I'm just making sure. So now we're going to travel back in time to November 20 of, uh, uh, is it 2018, 2019, 2018 and 2019? I want you guys to, before we get into listening to her saying how she's filing a lawsuit to disband them, I didn't know that New York was the rest of America. I didn't know that they make decisions for all of America. I didn't know that Letitia James, you know, thought that she was that important. But here's uh, where you're going to hear uh, who she really is, because that's that's what's important. You got to know who you're talking to. And this is who you're talking to. Hold on. Let's do this. I say one, I say one name, Donald Trump. That should motivate you. Off your ass and vote. Will you, will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. He's going to know my name personally. I love it. He probably does already. That's CAG. I say one name Donald Trump. Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. That's the AG. That's the AG of New York. That's how she campaigned, that she's going to sue him. She's going to get rid of him. That was the promise that she made. Now, let's take a listen to how she announces how she's going to take down an organization that she has no business even talking about or filing lawsuits on behalf of the whole nation. What is this? The Ninth Circus Court? Joshua Powell. And four, Corporate Secretary and General Counsel, John Frazier. These individuals in the NRA are charged with failing to manage the NRA's funds and failing to follow numerous state and federal laws, which contributed to the loss of more than $64 million in just three years. Since its founding in 1871, the NRA has been a registered not-for-profit charitable corporation in the state of New York. And these organizations are required by law to register and file annual financial reports with the Office of the New York State Attorney General. And the assets of such an organization are legally required to be used in a way that serves the interest of NRA membership and that advance the organization's charitable mission. However, as today complaints as today's complaints lays out, we found that the NRA instead fostered a culture of noncompliance and disregard for internal controls that led to the waste and loss of millions in assets and contributed to the NRA's current deteriorated financial state. Not only were the NRA's internal policies repeatedly not followed but they were blatantly ignored 
by senior leaders. The NRA's board's uh, audit committee was negligent in its duty to ensure appropriate, competent, and judicious stewardship of assets by NRA leadership. Specifically, the audit committee failed to assure standard fiscal controls. They failed to respond adequately to whistleblowers, affirmatively took steps to conceal the nature and scope of whistleblower concerns from external auditors, and they failed to review potential conflicts of interest for employees. In our lawsuit, we outlined dozens of examples of these failures, many of which... Wait, while she tells you about these failures, I want you to listen. Do you know what she wants? She wants a list of everyone that is a registered member of the NRA. She wants access to everything so they know who is part of the NRA. This is how they're going to round you up. You want guns? Well, come here. We have a gulag for you right before we make our soiland. We're led and perpetuated by the four individual defendants named in this lawsuit who failed to fulfill their fiduciary duty to the NRA. They use millions upon millions of dollars from the NRA for personal use, including for lavish trips for themselves and their families, private jets, expensive meals, and other private travel. Wayne LaPierre, Woody Phillips, Joshua Powell, and John Frazier instituted a culture of self-dealing, mismanagement, and negligent oversight at the NRA that was illegal, oppressive, and fraudulent. They overrode and they invaded, evaded internal controls to allow themselves their families and favored board members, employees and vendors to benefit through reimbursed expenses, related party transactions, excess compensation, side deals, and waste of charitable assets without regard to the NRA's best interest. The central figure behind this scheme was none other than Mr. Wayne LaPierre, the national face of the NRA, who was entrusted with running its day-to-day -day operations. Mr. LaPierre exploited the organization for his and his family's financial benefit and the benefit of a close, close circle of NRA staff, board members, and vendors. Specifically, Mr. LaPierre spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of the NRA's charitable assets for personal private plane trips for himself and his family, including extended family when he was not present. He visited the Bahamas by private air charter at least eight times in an approximate three-year period with his family at a, at a, at a cost of more than $500,000 to the NRA. He traveled on multiple luxury hunting safaris in Africa at the expense of an NRA vendor. 
in Africa at the expense. So, yeah, he probably did it. He's probably corrupt, but that's not what they're going after him for. Because I could probably get her at the expense of New York, where she went. But that's okay. He's probably, yeah, he probably is. All these charities have their little, you know, whatever. Who cares? So you're going to dismantle the NRA because you say so? No, NRA will place him there, investigate that. Let's take a look. Is that the case? Nope, it's not. Then please move along. This is all grandstanding. This is just to get your names. I'm telling you, this is just to get your names. And, you know, I think it's like 20 bucks, right? I have to renew mine. He spent millions of dollars on unwanted travel consultants for decades, including for the booking of luxury black car service. In the past two years alone, Mr. LaPierre spent more than $3.6 million on these travel agent services. He secured a post-employment contract for himself with the NRA without board approval, currently valued at more than $17 million. He allotted several million dollars annually in NRA funds for private security costs for himself and his family without sufficient oversight on their use. He received more than $1.2 million in reimbursement in just a four-year period for expenditures that included gifts for favored friends and vendors, travel expenses for himself and his family, and membership fees at golf clubs hotels, and other member clubs. He even secured lucrative consulting contracts for ex-employees and board members worth millions of dollars. Yet often it resulted in little, if any, actual work. In addition to grossly misusing these funds for personal use, Mr. LaPierre created an illegal pass-through arrangement to conceal the very nature of these expenditures. For decades, Mr. LaPierre and the founder of Ackerman McQueen, the NRA's longtime advertising firm, had a practice whereby Ackerman McQueen would pay for these non-contractual, out-of-pocket expenses for, La, for Mr. LaPierre and other NRA executives and pass those expenses through to the NRA. These expenses would then be paid for by the NRA without written approval, without receipts, without any supporting business purpose documentation. Ackerman McQueen would aggregate the expenses into a lump sum amount and then bill them to the NRA without any details on the nature or purpose of the expense completely in violation of state law. These expenses did not comply with IRS requirements, and as a result, all such expenses should have been included by the NRA in taxable personal income for Mr. LaPierre and other recipients. In 2017 and 2018 alone, just two years, Ackerman, Ackerman McQueen was paid more than $70 million. A significant amount of these funds included payments through this side agreement. And when board members challenged Mr. LaPierre and the three other defendants over this lavish spending, 
their financial governance or their leadership of the NRA, Mr. LaPierre retaliated and turned the board against those who attempted to challenge his illegal behavior. So here's the deal. This stuff happens everywhere. This is just a weaponized lawsuit, as someone clearly stated as well, uh, just to dismantle the NRA. Uh, But again, it's just the information she wants. Why interject yourself, state of New York attorney general, in something that is internal? And uh, companies usually do that. Attorney generals don't inject themselves into civil suits and bickering and uh, any internal corruption. So that's number one. Our next question will come from Carol Lenning of the Washington Post. Attorney General James, this is Carol Lenning. Thanks for your news conference. I have a question about your findings regarding um, LaPierre's ability to avoid reporting expenses as personal income on his personal income taxes. Have you or will you refer that to the IRS? And do you believe he evaded personal income taxes in a pattern over several years? Wow. So why is the attorney to see this is this is what happened to me. I was told that I was doing a charity and I wasn't. And I was clear on that. And I I said, where's the proof? Because you said, no, no, you're saying that. Nowhere did I say that. But that is what an attorney general did to me. This is typical lawfare. This is how they want to shut you up. This is how they, obviously I didn't do anything. So hence why nothing happened. But the bottom line is this is their trick. They're the attorney general. They say whatever they want. Where is the remedy? Tell me, attorney general Letitia James, what remedy do the residents of New York State have with you spending millions of dollars to interject yourself into this case? That is the question. You see what I'm saying? That is the question. What, you know, the purpose of the attorney general is to come in and say, all right, my citizens need to be benefited. So I am going to come down on this person because it's going to benefit the people of New York. That is my job. Where is the benefit to the people of New York? Explain. Zero benefit to the people of New York. So why is she in there? That's the thing. That is the thing. Why is she doing this? It's all about using any means they have to discredit and do. Now, I'm not saying that there's no merit to what she's saying at all. I'm not saying that she is right. I'm not saying that she is wrong. What I am telling you is that what benefit do the people of New York have for Miss Letitia to interject millions of dollars that the state of New York does not have to go after him. That is the question you need to be asking yourself. The job of the attorney general is not to say, who do we want to screw over now? Let's go after them. You're not allowed to do that. That's actually illegal. Just like what she said, we're going to go after Trump. She, she campaigned on that. How was she allowed to run and get elected By saying that she's going to pick someone, use the power of her office, and go against them. This is what I'm saying. This is what I'm trying to say to you. That they are abusing the judicial system to go after anyone. And obviously think she picked an internal, you know, issue that they're having with someone that may be overspending or maybe not. We don't know, right? We don't. It doesn't matter. He could be milking everything out of the NRA, everything. 
including the $30 that Mike had given me for coffee that I just got myself an NRA um, annual membership while she was talking. So I'm just saying he could be using that 30 bucks that, 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 that I just donated to them so that I can get my magazine and my desert NRA pack. I'm just saying this is it. They couldn't find anything. So they picked on something. But it was a very specific something. She introduced herself, even though there's no benefit to the people of New York. That's number one. And number two, she wants to get the names. She wants the names of the people. And, you know, listen to James O'Keefe. Hold on. Let's go there. I want you guys to listen to James O'Keefe, where he was told that he was on a list and he's not allowed to get any guns because he's a felon and he's not a felon. So the question is, all right, are you putting people on the list, Letitia, or anybody that says that James O'Keefe is a felon when he's not? You know, that's a lawsuit super happening. Pretty interesting that she announces as, uh, you know, he's uh, filing this suit. It's, it's so interesting, isn't it, guys? It's very interesting. So let's, um, let's take a listen to this. And for those watching, watch it just to see how, uh, how corrupt they are. Just, it's horrible. I just called about the uh, single barrel shotgun. Yeah. Just interested in purchasing, purchasing a, a shot, a single barrel. What's up? Just interested in a shotgun. How are you doing? Hey. Gentlemen look for anything in particular? Looking to, looking for a shotgun? Yeah, just give me a couple minutes to finish up with this gentleman and I'll show you what we have. You have to run me through the, the system, right? Yeah. The federal thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a federal background. Okay. Yeah. But it's denied. Denied? Yep. Sorry, you were denied. Denied? Oh, man, unfortunately, they denied you. Denied? They don't say why. You're an American citizen. You haven't done anything wrong. And now, all of a sudden, they're shoving a polo stick up your ass. You've ever heard of uh, Veritas, Project Veritas, the videos? Cause oh, yeah. I don't know if that's... That's who I am. I don't know if that's somebody. That's why I know the name. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recognize. That's it. why I know the name. You're James O'Keefe. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> how are you doing? Man, I don't know. I don't know what. I, I hope it's not retaliating against me because of our I'm, journalism. I'm probably sure. Yeah. I bet you it is. That's and you crazy. probably have a lawsuit on your hands. This is James O'Keefe in upstate New York, outside this gun store. I was just denied my constitutional right to purchase a firearm. They gave me this piece of paper. I'm on some type of federal list. Apparently the FBI has erroneously put me on an NICS background check system as a convicted felon. The problem, I'm not a convicted felon. I've never been convicted of a felony. So I'm pretty shocked by this news. I intend to go to a few more gun stores in the area, attempt to purchase a gun and document what happens? Are you under indictment or information in any court for a felony? No, nope, never been, never, no felony. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? No. no, no. Are you a fugitive? No. No. Are you addicted to marijuana or drugs? No, don't do drugs. Have you ever been convicted in any court of a misdemeanor crime of domestic violence? No. no. Are you an illegal alien? No. Are you an alien who has been admitted to the United States under a, no well, that's no, no, no. I'm sorry, you were denied. Denied? Yes. On what grounds? I, I, I don't know. They don't tell me that. They wouldn't yeah. give you a reason? No. Is this the FBI? 
Yeah. I apologize. I've wasted your time. I've, no, I've, 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 you found out something now, you're entitled to find out about it. How do I get more information about this? I've never been convicted of a felony. I, I had a Class B misdemeanor, but there was no, no jail or any, no. any sentence. that has nothing to do. So that wouldn't make sense then, would it? No. Denied. That's crazy. I wonder if that's more retaliation. Could be. Insane. They don't like you. You're in the newspaper business, man. That's right. If they don't... I'm just trying to protect myself. I'd go after him. <sighs> I'll tell you, if it infringes off your work, yeah. get a lawyer, file a complaint against the FBI. I will. NICS, the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, exists to prevent felons from purchasing guns, and I have no problem with that. That's a 12-gauge. We've got some 20-gauges. These are 20-gauge. How about this one right here? This is a relatively inexpensive model. Mm -hmm. yep. Can I try that one? Yeah. All right, let me go run this real quick. Let me get you going. Thank you. What did I denied you? Denied? Yep. What was the reason? Uh, they don't give you a reason. Really? Yep. No, no, no felony, no, no conviction of misdemeanor over here in prison. I have a class B misdemeanor. That was ten years ago. People get denied because I'm not a felon. I've never committed a felony. I've never. There's, there's something there, someplace. Really? It's flat over the FBI. Yeah, because I mean it came back tonight just like that. Is that typical? That's not typical. No, it's not typical. My lawyer and I believe this error, which is denying my constitutional right stems from my unjust prosecution in 2010 for entering the public office of then-Senator Mary Landrieu of Louisiana. Prosecutors said I had violated federal law by entering the premises under false pretenses. I actually used my driver's license. Ultimately, prosecutors backed down and I pled guilty to a Class B misdemeanor with a maximum sentence of six months of imprisonment. In fact, I was only sentenced to probation, which I successfully completed seven years ago. By the way, if I had to do it over again, I would have fought the ridiculous charge and been vindicated because I did nothing wrong and was just doing what investigative journalists have done for centuries. Flash forward ten years, I find myself on that NICS denial list, a list that is meant for people who have been convicted of a crime punishable by more than a year, which I have never been convicted of. The NICS law, 18 United States Code 921A20, says even if I had been on the list because of the misdemeanor plea, the FBI should have removed my name after the conclusion of my probation. Oh, yeah, yeah, you got the court. That's the court? Yeah, this is a federal background check. Okay. First one's asking for the buyer. The rest are immigration and criminality. You'll flip over here. You'll finish out your criminality and immigration questions. Um, and then you'll sign on 22, date on 23, and I fill out the rest. All right, perfect, thank you. No problem. Ah, uh, man, unfortunately they denied you. Denied? They don't say why. Um, you can get a hold of the ATF and start an appeal process, and they it could be something for as stupid as an unpaid parking ticket. Really? Yeah, I've seen it before. Um, or there could be another James O'Keefe, um, and it's a mistaken identity. But hmm. I can't give you the gun today. You, you've heard of uh, Veritas, Project Veritas, the videos? Cause oh, yeah. I don't know if that's that's who I am. I don't know if that's something to do. That's why I know the name. Yeah. yeah. I, I recognize That's it. why I know the name. You're James O'Keefe? Yeah. 
Dude, how are you doing? Thanks. Good to see you. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Why do I know this name? I saw you. I was like, I know this guy. I don't know from where. And then when you said your yeah. name, James O'Keefe, I was yeah. like, that is that him or? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know what. I, I hope it's not retaliating against me because of our I'm, journalism. I'm probably sure. It is. I bet you it is. That's and crazy. you probably have a lawsuit on your hands. I probably do. I bet you, you do. So I just spoke with Steve at Outlander Guns here in Dwaynesburg, New York. You heard what he said. James O'Keefe, you probably have a lawsuit on your hands. Bottom line is the FBI should have never put me on that list. So this week, I'm announcing I'm going to file a lawsuit in federal court to have my name taken off of this list to correct the absolutely false claim that I've ever committed a felony. I should not belong on this list, and I'm going to get my constitutional rights restored. Stay tuned. Okay. So I just want to tell you guys how this works because I told you that I had a friend that went through this. So when you apply, the first thing that happens, it gets, it goes to the attorney general of the state. Where did he go try to buy guns? New York. Are you on, are you getting this right now? New York. So one thing people don't know is that attorney generals, I wrote an article about it and it's on big league politics. They have signed memorandums of understanding with the FBI in exchange for them selling all your private identifying information to the FBI for their. Uh, FBI face services databases and more so hold on I've got like 30 seconds to do this so my listeners um, on air can hear this so what they do is they give them a login so your attorney general can actually go in there and put stuff about you this is how they put manufactured false information into federal databases on a local level if they don't like you so I would have started with the attorney general of New York um, or where his driver's license is from just to be clear so on that note we're breaking off for a five minute break for the radio station I'll be right back I'll see you in a bit Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we covered guns. We covered this. We're going to cover a little bit more of domestics. And then we're going to hop over to the global scene. All right, because we got some stuff going on. And uh, just a cue into what we're getting into. Fun fact. The primary language in the country of Lebanon is actually, they actually have two. It's French and Arabic. So I just wanted to point that out because you're going to hear about Macron going over there and hugging them and telling them how sad he feels and how evidence is being burned. Welcome to the future. Very interesting building, too. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how the world has been on fire. We've been saying this for months here. Watch the hot spots. It's going to be on fire. I mean, I can't, you know... <laughs> So cryptic, Tori. Um, yeah. When you've got a target the size of the moon on your back, you gotta. You gotta. That's the way it is. So Brussels. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about some 
interesting statement. We travel not for trafficking alone by hotter winds, our fiery hearts are fan. For lust of knowing what should not be known, we take the golden road to Samarkand. We're going to talk about that a little bit. That's a global thing, by the way. So here is where we're going to kick it off with fantastic news. Uh, You know, Governor DeWine is not allowed to see the president today. Um, And that's something I I wanted to share, uh, not just the fact that, ha-ha, you know, you're in the corner. uh, Because, you know, who knows? Was he positive? Was he not? I guess masks don't work. But we'll be live uh, for the Whirlpool uh, Corporation um, speech. I'll be live uh, so that way we can watch it together and what he has to say. But DeWine tested positive for coronavirus. So that tweet I put out, and for those watching, uh, you know, live, uh, that tweet of the choppers, that was the entourage that comes in before. I know that I was, I was, I was aiming to go to the um, uh, private uh, country club thing in Shoreby where the president is having a, a fundraiser. Uh, and, you know, you obviously have to get coronavirus tested. And, um, you know, it's just way too far out. And it, it didn't work today. So God knows why, but whatever. So DeWine is not going to meet uh, the president of the United States, and he shouldn't. So if you ask me, did he really test positive or didn't he? I'd probably go on the fact maybe he was one of those people that drove up for a test, got tired of waiting and left and just got a, sorry, you can't go. So that's my analysis of this. Uh, So masks don't work, obviously, because he's been wearing them up to his eyeballs. And um, I'm thinking, oh. Too bad, isn't it, DeWine? Because you're in a lot of trouble. We've got you connected with the Clintons. We've got you connected with Epstein. We've got you connected with... Like, all of that's going to be coming out. So, you know, stick to your guns. I'm glad that he's not seeing our president. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. I, I mean, has he come out to say, Oh, I'm sick. I really wanted to see the president. Because there's just, you know, breaking. Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine tested positive for coronavirus shortly before greeting uh, President Donald Trump uh, in Cleveland. That's what's being said. So, uh, you know, he's 73 years old uh, with a positivity. He has a 5.47 positivity rate uh, in the state of Ohio, which exceeds the Centers of Disease Control Prevention's recommended 5% positive coronavirus cases. I'm just saying this is this is fun. Uh, Governor DeWine has no symptoms at the time. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't dance with bad, 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 bad little boys. So uh, it's it's quite interesting. I think that's that's actually fascinating that um, that it happened. And I, I don't mean to say, well, you know, coronavirus is a good excuse when you leave office too. Now let's take a listen to what Pelosi had to say today. It's, uh, she came out with her little meeting. Um, we're going to play like a couple of minutes of her audio talking, and then we're going to jump to her portion where she starts to answer questions. Okay, here we go. Good morning, everyone. She's with Schumer. We gather here today in the midst of our negotiations on how we can defeat the virus, how we can 
keep people employed, how we can uh, put money in the pockets of the American people to do so in a way that is values-based and, and can be done uh, with the most, uh, shall we say, what would be the word, bipartisanship possible. Uh, that is our goal. It's what we have done four times already with COVID uh, bills, four times all bipartisan. Of course, we need that because we have to have a signature from the president and a vote in the United States Senate. But we have stand by our HEROES Act, the HEROES Act, which does just that, keeps people working, our heroes, healthcare workers, first responders, sanitation, uh, uh, transportation, etc., teachers, teachers, teachers. Next is to uh, end, the, end the virus, contain the virus by testing, tracing, treatment, and uh, masks, separation, etc. And third, putting money in the pockets of the American people. Those are the pillars of the, of the um, HEROES Act. We have a few other pillars. That is, uh, protect, it's about protecting the lives, the livelihood, and the life of our democracy. And in that score, we have uh, some issues in terms of the census, in terms of the post office, postal service, and in terms of uh, on, uh, on voting uh, at home, we say, but if you want to say uh, vote by mail, whatever the term of technology, voting in a way does not make people have to choose between their health and their vote. It's, all, it's again, the health of our democracy in more than one way. Uh, we have been making some progress, uh, proceeding in a positive way. We're not there yet. I have said I see a light at the end of the tunnel. We just don't know how long the tunnel is. But we have to move quickly, more quickly, because the light at that end of the tunnel may be the uh, freight train of the virus coming at us if we do not act to contain it. We're concerned because we think that this administration and the Republicans do not understand the gravity of the situation and hence have not taken the actions uh, to stop the spread of the virus, uh, to, uh, uh, to again open the economy, have our schools open safely, and have us return to some normalcy. I'm very honored to be here with the distinguished Democratic leader of the Senate. Uh, we've worked in sync on this with shared values. Uh, and, but with a shared understanding that we want to come to agreement. And with that, I'm just pleased to yield with it to the distinguished leader of the United States Senate, welcome him back to the House side where he served with distinction. I can speak firsthand on that. Okay, we don't care about her thumping, you know, <laughs> Schumer. Um, why, in a time of chaos... In a time that we are bombarded with misinformation, we're going through an infodemic, a pandemic, everything. Why are they making this complicated? Why are they negotiating? Someone would ask. Why can't they make it simple and just give money to the people, relief to the people? Not the teachers, not Harvard University, not music orchestras, but the people. Why can't they just focus on that? Just, hey, guys, we're all, we all hate each other. We don't want this. We're just going to focus on the people simple. We're giving them this money, this money, this money. This is how unemployment's going to go. This is what we're going to give to small businesses. That's it. One for the people, one for small businesses. Finished. Why can't it be simple? And the answer is simple. Because they don't care about you. Period. They don't. 
They're negotiating with the livelihood of the people. Remember that. They do not care about you at all. They don't care. So that's how it goes. Now let's pop over to the questions. Families. There are all kinds of reasons uh, that, that weigh in on this pandemic. People have to stay home if their children are not able to go to school or if they don't have child care. Uh, if they, there's, there are a number of reasons. But none of them is, I want to stay home because I make more money this way than other. Maybe some of these employers can pay their workers more. But let's not, you know, not to go to that place just because I wouldn't paint all of them with that brush. We shouldn't be uh, worrying about how much it's going to cost. So I said to the secretary... The plural of anecdote is not data. You have some examples. Write them down and let's add it up. And I'll show you my list of money that has been squandered, given to businesses who should not have gotten PPP and the rest. Why are we holding America's working families who are struggling, who have children to care for or senior elders to care for and the rest, and make it as if they're, my goodness, they're not uh, worthy First of all, she looks way younger. Second of all, she's the one stalling things. So I'm a little bit confused into where she's going to. Let's skip forward. So just needed drugs for COVID. Essential drugs and also medical supplies. So things well, like masks so in other and words, gloves. If we don't have an adequate supply right now, I mean, we're all for Buy America. And he should have been doing that by invoking the DPA four months ago. And he wouldn't have had to do this when I asked him on, I think it was March 6th. But to say if there's an essential, essential supply that's going to keep Americans alive and not get sick and we're not going to buy it because it's overseas and we don't have made it, having, having it made in America, that is harsh, callous and wrong. And I'll bet he'll have to back. What? Why is it harsh, callous and wrong? Can you guys trust other countries? Honestly, would you trust them? I don't trust Avion Water anymore. I'm just saying. I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. So what they're saying is because we're not making the drug, and the president says, no, we're not going to use if it's not made in America. We're not doing it. He's upset because they want to give money to the other nations. No, we could do it here and cheaper. We could do it here and cheaper. That's the thing. I don't want to pay another country for this pandemic. No, they're not going to make money off of us. And the president's right because he knows it's a hoax and he's OK with it. But he's like, man, if we're going to go with this hoax, Americans are making money. Back off it. Thank you. Oh, she wasn't expecting that question. President Trump is trying to do something executive. How's he going to do it? Ha ha ha. With an EO, he can't do it. Well, what if they move money around like they did with the wall? You know, from like disaster relief or right to try stuff or I don't know. I don't think they know what they're talking about. The one thing that president can do is to extend the moratorium. And that would be a good thing if there's money to go with it. And that's what we keep telling them. A moratorium, as, as the leader fully explained what's the use of a moratorium if you're going to have eight months of rent to pay at the end of the moratorium, A, and B, what does that mean to the landlord? No money. No money. Mr. Schumer grew up in a triplex, did you? Triple-decker. Uh, yeah. And, and you want to tell your story? 
Oh, okay. We tell each other a lot of stories. You should have heard us singing before. We did. Oh, my gosh. Oh, golly. It was a song, because she was putting on lipstick. And it was a song. I want to ask how many of you have ever heard of the song. No, they haven't heard of it. Lipstick on your collar. Anyone hear of it? Raise your hands. <laughs> now, we are trying to figure out who sang it. Did you figure that out? Connie Francis. Have you ever heard of her? Where the boys are. That was one of her movies or songs. Now we're finished with our trivia. And we'll... No, um, he grew up in a triplex. I, so in my neighborhood where I grew up, there were lots of what they call triple deckers. And the landlord was the family. It was a working family that lived on the top floor. They owned the building. And then there was rent. There was a family on the second floor and the first floor that rented. Well... If they can't pay the rent, if they have a moratorium rent, how is that? This is not a big fancy landlord. This is a working person. He's not getting or she's not getting money to pay the mortgage, the electricity, the property taxes, etc. If you don't push money into the system, it doesn't work. But they tie themselves in a knot to act like they want to try to do something without spending any money. And it's impossible when you have such a huge recession and such a uh, huge pandemic. On that vein, uh, the we're talking about when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was uh, needed shelter, you sheltered me. When I was homeless, you sheltered me. We're talking about the Gospel of Matthew. We're talking about fundamental values in our country. They don't want to spend the money to feed uh, adequate amounts of money to feed uh, to alleviate uh, uh, food insecurity in our country. They don't want to give any money to help with uh, possible evictions, which people are very, very afraid of. And and that's instead, what do they want to do? Well, I always point out their commitment to the high end. They're a trickle-down crowd. Pay nearly $2 trillion added to the national debt to give a tax cut to those 83% of the benefits going to the top 1%, heaping mountains of debt onto our children. And instead of making investments that will stimulate the economy, instead of uh, – let me just say it this way. We have to think big. You ask the chairman of the Fed. You ask some of the uh, uh, economists. You ask some of the previous leaders in the Republican Party – in the, in the uh, government of our country. Think big, because this is a big challenge, and it will only get worse if we do not make the necessary investments. Pay now or pay later, much more later. But to be clear, you don't think that they can move money around without congressional approval? Yeah, they did it with the border that much money. We're talking about better a way major to do investment. This is come to a agreement that meets the needs of the American people. Much better way. Meets their needs. Uh, so let's have a quick intermission and, um, you know, find this song, Lipstick on a Co- I found it, guys. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So let's uh, find a song. Uh, that's what I wanted you guys to hear, how insanely, uh, you know, they're going with um, – this so this is nana surprise party cover <laughs> so that way i don't get dinged when i upload to youtube take a listen to this this is a a cover by people for nana's surprise party <laughs>
this, but that was cute, right? The grandma was having a lot of fun. These are her grandkids singing it at her surprise party. So it just tells you just how, you know, how they're mocking us and they're laughing at us and they're having fun. They're having fun with what they're doing. They want trillions of dollars for what? They just want pork in a bill when it should just be about the people. (laughs) And this again is why we need to stand up. So I want us to talk about uh, Beirut. Uh, There's a lot of people, missiles, this, God, rods. I'm telling you what was used was bomb and it's not of this time yet officially. So listen to this report, okay? This one is um, from France 24, where they're asking, you know, why Macron is is there as well and how Macron is tweeting, uh, you know, support for Beirut. Looks like annexation to me. Perceived where you are. Well, of course, France is very popular here in Lebanon. There's a long-running history of a relationship between the two. And recently, uh, the tensions have been over the fact that, of course, the French government uh, is not coordinating with the Lebanese government in the way that politicians here want them to. But the Lebanese people, many of them, are happy about that. They feel that international money should not be going to this government. Um, Many people who've been protesting for the last nine months, who say that this government will not spend it on the things that people actually need. And, of course, the French government... Uh, things we have been saying that unless reforms are imposed, they're not going to give any money. The situation now, of course, is very different. We're no longer talking about uh, aid money to try and help the country develop. We're talking about disaster relief. And that's that. Wait a minute. So it's August 6th, right? This happened August 4th. We were here while people were still talking about the explosion. What did I tell you about disaster relief? How they have no money? What are they telling you now? Do you remember that? So, just saying. Serve two purposes. So I told you why this happened in Lebanon, right? I told you how they were broke. And I told you how they were going to blame all these other, you know, faction, Hezbollah, Hamas, you know, the whole thing. I told you. So here's the news 48 hours later. Kind of telling you, but not telling you because they're excusing the fact that they're getting aid, even though they were told no. You heard the foreign minister say no one is giving us money. We're in default. The IMF said no, unless we hand over our nation. The, no one's lending us money. We're renting electricity from barges on the sea. I told you this. It was for money. And to cover up. It served two purposes. I told you that. So who was shot? Maybe the person that was going to tell. Who was shot? Maybe the person they're telling you was going to tell. You see? How, how, where is the news? They're not even explaining. They're talking to you and telling you, right? They're telling you, oh, Now it's disaster relief. We're not going to like, you know, hold money from them. We need to help them. And I've also told you that Macron is actually royalty. He is a co-prince of a territory. Look it up. And I've also told you that Lebanon was part of the French territories and they speak French. Annexation. Hmm. Listen. 
very different, that's very urgent. Uh, and so yesterday, uh, when that people actually need. I'm rewinding it so you hear it now with remembering what we said while everyone was still sharing, you know, pictures of the bomb and still in shock. Politicians, they want them to, but the Lebanese people, many of them are happy about that. They feel that international money should not be going to this government. Um, many people who've been protesting for the last nine, nine months, who say that this government will not spend it on the things that people actually need. And of course, the French government uh, we have been saying that unless reforms are imposed, they're not going to give any money. The situation now, of course, is very different. We're no longer talking about uh, aid money to try and help the country develop. We're talking about disaster relief, and that's, that's very different. That's very urgent. Oh, so for nine months, Soros has been uh, creating activists within Lebanon to say, don't give us money. We're not going to get into austerity, uh, you know, to counter those those talks. So the people are saying, no, we don't need the IMF. We don't need to develop. Lebanon can develop on their own. I mean, bottom line is Clinton, Obama, they all annihilated Lebanon. They annihilated them. And remember, it was the playground for Bush Jr. who went in there and invested money with knowledge he knew from his daddy and then pulled out the investments right before, just a little before Beirut bombings happened and, 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 and it just, be, you know, it just became a mess. We're talking 90s now, right? So these people have been used and abused by the elites. And then the people are like, no austerity measures, we'll farm. Well, why can't the people just farm? Why do they need money being lent to them by other people? Why do they need it? You can't farm. You can't make bread. You know, do you need to import it? You need to rely on carrots from, from France when you can make them yourself? I'm just saying. Why aren't they more self-sufficient as nations? Exactly what the president is doing for us right now. So now they're telling you, we weren't going to give them any money. No way we were going to give them any money with the government in place, blah, 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 blah. So, but now we're talking disaster relief, they say. That's different. Disaster relief, a.k.a. Economic annexation. Uh, and so yesterday uh, when Emmanuel Macron uh, tweeted, he said, his first issue about coming to Lebanon was that he was coming here uh, to meet with the people and to show, give them a show of solidarity. And as an afterthought, he said, and we will take stock of the situation with the political authorities, very clearly separating those two and saying his first thought is the Lebanese people. The moment his plane landed today, he tweeted out, Lebanon is not alone. So very clearly coming here to commune with people. And people do feel that the international community is coming to their aid and they're very grateful for it. But Leila, Emmanuel Macron is meeting with the very people the Lebanese people have lost faith in. Well, this is the difficulty. As I say, uh, French authorities have been quite vocal about the fact that they're not happy about the way that this government uh, is operating. Promises that were made by Hassan Diab's government in January about reforms they would bring in within six months. Nothing has been done there. And of course, uh, the foreign minister, Le Quien, a couple of weeks ago, uh, said, please, please do something. Help us so we can... Uh, help us to help you by doing something, putting in these reforms. So, of course, they don't feel that they're a very functional government. Uh, but at the same time, the problem is, who else do they work with? The reality is, this is the government that's here. These are the authorities that are here. They're in charge of what limited resources Lebanon does. So they don't like the government that's there that doesn't want austerity measures, but Macron is going to talk to them. Why? Why did you allow the bombing to happen? Why did you do this? Why did you annihilate this? Why did you, who did you tell? Who told? 
That's why the secretary of the party was shot in the head during the explosion. Does have so of course international partners coming in do need to work with them. The concern immediately at the moment is about disaster relief. So uh, coming directly behind uh, Mr. Macron, the plane uh, relief plane bringing uh, help for search and rescue and also medical relief. Uh, there have been other field hospitals sent by people around the world. Right now, it's about trying to find people on the rubble and save lives. So everyone can just really work together on that. But after that, the issue will be with humanitarian aid, with money that's being given for rebuilding. And that's when the political question will really come in of whether this government are the right people to give that to. Certainly many Lebanese people would say they're not and they will misuse that money. Leila, talk us through what is happening on, on the ground in, in Beirut, because, you know, a lot of uh, people have seen images of, on social media of ordinary folks cleaning the streets, getting things back on track. Where's the government in all of this? Well, the government is obviously trying to help uh, in whatever way they can. They do, uh, you know, fund money towards some of these organizations, but many of the organizations here are completely volunteer-run. Uh, all the ambulances that were working through the night, the first night, working through the day yesterday and last night, they're run by the Lebanese Red Cross, which is an entirely volunteer-run organization, uh-huh, desperately overburdened, helped a little bit by, by the civil defense, who are also volunteers. And then, of course, hospitals here uh, have been completely overwhelmed. One thing that is happening uh, is that the health minister said that anybody injured in this accident, uh, would their care would be paid for. And so... In many hospitals around Beirut, people coming in with injuries uh, were not having to pay for their care, which, of course, is a great concern because many people here don't have health insurance and there isn't uh, government health care. So that's been a big help to a lot of people and people help that feel that that at least is something that the government is providing. Uh, but in terms of everything else, it's simply at the moment, as I say, a real focus on search and rescue. The main priority is that area down by the port trying to see if anyone more can be saved uh, nearly two days after this accident now. Last night, amazing scenes. A man was found after 30 hours floating in the sea, still alive. A little girl found underneath rubbles, dug out as well. So there's still hope, uh, particularly with this help coming in from the international community, that some more lives may be saved. But hundreds and hundreds of people still missing and many families desperate. Leila, thank you very much for that update. Leila Mulana Allen reporting there. Huh. So that was interesting. But now you need to listen to this other one. Why is Macron in Lebanon? They ask. And I already told you it's uh, economic annexation. <laughs> Welcome to kneeling to the new crown. Here we go. France 24's uh, James Andre. James, why is Emmanuel Macron in Lebanon two days after this blast? Well, Emmanuel Macron is uh, there indeed to uh, reassure the Lebanese people. That is the objective. What he wants to show is that France is friends, is with Lebanon. And it's true that to to a lot of Lebanese Christians, a lot of them are Francophones, uh, France is a bit the big sister country. Now, the core of this message is uh, is quite clear in the latest statement uh, made by Emmanuel Macron that was uh, on the streets of Lebanon as he was speaking to uh, a, a large crowd of Lebanese people who had assembled there. He said, I'm here and it is my duty. I want to help you as a people to bring you food and, um, and uh, indeed uh, uh, medical supplies. I guarantee that this aid will not go into the hands of corruption. I think that is very much the core message. What Emmanuel Macron wants to show is that France is indeed there, that the objective for France is to control how this aid is used. He comes at the time, you've got to remember, this is just the last 
the last accident in uh, the very troubled recent history of Lebanon. For one year, the country has been uh, there have been there's been a lot of civil unrest. It's like a pressure cooker. It is a catastrophe. The country is in a catastrophic state. There is no cash. Uh, banks have been uh, limiting the amount of cash people can take out of the banks, and that's been going on for months now. Mm-hmm. The lira as long. Wait. So what he's talking about is capital controls. Greece is under that. They are now only on a digital currency. You're going to say stop. What? Yes, they are. So, you know, you are not allowed to cash checks or write checks into your bank account. You cannot load cash on it because it's not trackable. You can pull out cash, but there's only a certain limit. At one point, it was only like 60 euros every week of actual cash because the IMF said no more. Greece's tush is owned by the EU completely, 100%. I'm just telling you. And um, they handed over their state. Again, they were in the same position that Lebanon is. This is the way the IMF works. Macron is there to mitigate. Because as I said, this bombing served two purposes, elimination of evidence and to bring in disaster relief without having to hand over their nation. And so he's there investigating in his sister country because <laughs> they're francophones, right? Uh, right. To get in there and offer them the opportunity of being economically annexed to France to make this easier for them, meaning that they're going to be a territory of France. And you're going to see this play out because that is on the table. This is why he flew out there almost instantly uh, after, uh, you know, there's a hole in the earth. And obviously, after seeing what weapon was used, it means who destroyed it, who gave the order. There's only few that may or may not. What is going on? That is why he is there. And they're telling you, oh, he wants to give humanitarian aid. Stop. They never do something. If something is free from leaders like that or something is done because they're bleeding heart, like Macron, the geriatric lover, uh, you know, has a heart like that. You know, he married his elementary school teacher, right? Yeah. So um, this co-prince went in there to be nice. No, he went in there to gain footing. Lost, you know. 80% 80% of its value. Uh, the situation is extremely bad on all fronts. And this is just the last catastrophe. This is for the people of Lebanon, for most of them. This is the last proof that uh, their uh, political class is corrupt. And there are, you know, massive mismanagement problems, mismanagement problems that are so huge that 3,000 tons of explosive were stored on the port. And now there is no port to speak about. So what Emmanuel Macron is doing is coming in and saying, look, France is watching. We want to make sure that there is no mismanagement with this aid. We want to make sure uh, that indeed it will go to the right places. And he's even saying, and he said this in a statement, uh, that he was ready to manage the international relief efforts. Uh, actually, a crowd on the street of Beirut has urged Emmanuel Macron to oust the leadership in the country. Speaking of uh, Emmanuel Macron's visit, is this something that the entire political spectrum in Lebanon is going to be happy about? Now, that's very unclear at this stage. Indeed, uh, you can imagine that, as I was saying, this, this Christian community in Lebanon, which uh, a lot of them are francophone, francophile, are going to be very happy about Emmanuel Macron visiting. I'm not so sure that those who support Hezbollah, for example, are going to be very happy about this visit. Indeed, uh, there are 18 different official uh, sects that are recognized in uh, the Lebanese constitution. And indeed, while well, France is seen as a friend by some of them, but... 
to cite Hezbollah, for example, not by all of them. So obviously, uh, this is very difficult. We have to see how the Lebanese take this. What's interesting, though, is to note that uh, the history of France, for example, with Lebanon is very different from, for example, Algeria or other countries. What we are seeing here, a French president turning up 48 hours after a major catastrophe uh, to basically say, look, I'm here to manage things, would absolutely be unheard of and impossible in a country uh, like Algeria or other former French colonies Where people were out on the streets, remember, in Algeria not too long ago, demanding change, political change right at the top and... Yeah. But indeed, yes, you know, France cannot play that role in Algeria, but it can indeed. It's a very different setup. It's also interesting for France. France yeah, so the Algerians were also, they're also Francophones, just so you know. They speak French and Arabic, just so you know, and they do not like France. If Macron even thought of stepping on there, he would be attacked. And so what they're saying is, well, the Lebanese are in a disadvantaged position because if Algeria had zero money and they were renting electricity from boats, they can't even produce their own electricity. That's how dependent they are on the global cabal. You get what I'm saying? That's how dependent they are. So this is what you need to be paying attention to. The world is on fire because borders are attempted to be redrawn. They know it's coming. They can't stop what's coming. They can't stop the uprise of the people. Now, this is outside of our borders, what's going on. Because soon, and it's not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to drop this. He, he loves revenge. Our president loves revenge. He loves to serve crow on golden plates, all nice and neat. He's going to do this Christmas time. He's going to be like, here you go. Done. Christmas Eve, just like they took it away from us, he's going to give it back. But what they want, right? What they want is to mitigate. And that's what they're doing. They're land grabbing now. They've put people in debt. Why does the IMF have an office in the U.S.? Can we kick them out, please? Can we get rid of the U.N.? Can we get rid of them? I mean, right now, the Democrats had been advocating to give money to terrorist groups. We said, let's take money away from terrorist groups. They said, no, no, we are going to not stop funding terrorist groups. Why? Terrorism keeps the world going around for them. They need terrorism to keep you in check. France has been losing a lot of its influence in uh, Lebanon over the past decades, over the past 15 years. Less and less people are learning French. French is not as important as it was. Schools are not as important as they were. And indeed, well, this is an opportunity for France to come back on the front of the scene. It's also important to note that Emmanuel Macron had been wanting to visit Lebanon uh, for a few months now to organize a state visit and had not wanted to be uh, seen alongside these politicians that, of course, are being extremely criticized right now by the population, it's important to note that there is a real risk of um, of the whole Lebanese society breaking down and exploding over this because obviously for a lot of people uh, this is you know, acute proof that there's something very, very wrong at the top of the state and that there is massive corruption. So uh, it's important to stabilize the country. It's important to reassure people. And this is, this is what Emmanuel Macron is going to do. Question mark, is it going to work? We'll have to see. But he is going to give a press conference at uh, 5.30 Paris time. Thank you very much for that, James. James Andre there. Hmm, that'll be very interesting to watch, no? Now, let's just shift over. Our president is here in Ohio, and he's talking to the people. Uh, let's take a look at what he has to say. Uh, one moment. Let's go there and see what our president said to people as he arrived in Cleveland. 
Here we go. Oops. American heart, and it's time we stand and say. Thank you. Trump, Trump, Trump. I want to thank you very much, your workers. I want to explain this to the fake news. Your workers, we wanted to see you in town. We couldn't because of the coronavirus, which we're working very hard on. We're doing a job, and uh, a lot of good numbers, a lot of good things are happening, including vaccines and therapeutics. But. I just wanted to let you know, I thank you for coming out here. They said you have a maximum number that you can have, and that's all we're allowed, so you're a very special group, and thank you all for coming out here. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm thrilled to be back in Ohio and proud of the hardworking patriots of the Buckeye State. Four years ago, I came here, right in here, right, that was an amazing four years ago, wasn't it? When you think how time flies. Right here in Cleveland to accept the Republican nomination for President of the United States. And we've worked hard and we've done some job, and they're finally starting to recognize it. They'll see. You know when they're going to recognize it? On November 3rd, that's when they're going to recognize it. Three months from now, on November 3rd, we will once again win the state of Ohio like we did last time. I just spoke to Bob Paducek, and he says we're doing better than we did last time. And I think we won it by almost nine points. And he said we're doing better than last time. Thank you, Bob. But we're looking forward to the beat, to really, I mean, look, we're running against a radical left, ideology, their messenger, Sleepy Joe. He doesn't know it's his message. He has no idea what the message is. But he's going to do whatever they tell him to do, you know it, because uh, he's not all there. I want to just say that uh, a very good friend of mine just tested positive. Do you know that? Our great governor, Governor of Ohio, DeWine, just tested positive just here. And we want to wish him the best. He'll be fine. I guess he's going for a secondary test. Uh, I just said I look forward to seeing the governor. They said, sir, he just tested positive. But he's a great guy. He's done a fantastic job. And you, Lieutenant Governor John Houston, is here someplace. John, hi, John. Thank you, John, very much. 
Also, House Speaker Bob Cup. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Republican candidate for Ohio's 13th district, Christina Hagan. Christina, come here. Come up here, John. Just come up here. Bob, come up here. Come on over here. Because I don't know if they hear me with these crazy speakers, but whatever. Just social distance, Christina. Right there, Christina. So, listen. You have a guy, really, he's, he is so terrible. Tim Ryan, this woman is incredible. You gotta let her win. Tim Ryan, he talks and he talks and he talks. Gets nothing done. What? I mean, we have to beat this. He only talks about jobs. He does nothing. We have, in Christina, an incredible candidate. Incredible in every way. She will work so hard for you. Tim Ryan goes out. He runs for president. He got zero. Zero, zero, zero. All talk. So I hope, Christina, they're going to put you there. You have my complete and total endorsement. And that's meant a lot. That's meant a lot. I think it's about 244 to 2 or 3 or something. So I don't want you to be number 4. Okay? You're going to get it. And fellas, you're doing a great job. We appreciate it. Say hello to the governor, too. But we'll finish this up. Thank you very much. Christina, thank you very much. Good luck. We're with you all the way, Christina. We've got to win. Also, we have our Republican Party chairwoman, Lisa Sticken. Lisa, hi, Lisa. Thank you, Lisa. Great job you're doing. Thank you. Are we doing good, Lisa? Good. And we have, uh, as you know, Gene Scalia. Good, good bloodline. Gene Scalia. There he is. And Bob Baduchek, who was with me from day one in Ohio, and he has done a fantastic job. So I've come to visit the workers of a great state and a great American company, Whirlpool. They had a lot of problems until I got involved, and now they're doing great. It's the largest washing machine manufacturing facility in the world. It's in Clyde, Ohio. You know that. That's where I'm going. Under the last administration, the men and women of Whirlpool saw their job and factories targeted for destruction, and yet, quite, you know the story, right? Vice President Biden, he's a real beauty, he let it happen. Foreign-made washing machines were dumped on our market below cost in order to put Whirlpool out of business, and yet the Obama administration, with Joe Biden watching over, freely allowed this grave injustice to continue. They let other countries pillage American jobs, lay waste to American communities and eviscerate American middle class. So they allowed things to happen which should never have happened to you, and we brought it back. And you know that. We have brought it back. Under my administration, all of that has changed. We stood up to the foreign cheaters. We defended American jobs. We imposed massive tariffs on foreign washing machines. And we saved the workers of Whirlpool. In everything we do, we are finally putting America first. Right. During Joe Biden's five decades in Washington, think of it. He's been in public office for four seven years. He's done nothing. Now he's going to fix everything. It doesn't work that way. 
And I wouldn't say he's at the top of his game, would you, do you think? But he supported every single globalist attack on American workers. Joe Biden's policies put China first and America last. And that's what he'll continue to do if he ever got this shot. And you will have a disruption in the markets, the likes of which our country has never seen. You will have a crash in the markets because he's going to double and triple your taxes. He's going to do things that nobody ever would ever think even possible because he's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, no religion, no anything, hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God, he's against guns, he's against energy, our kind of energy. Uh, I don't think he's going to do too well in Ohio. If he did, would have a big story. He's not going to do well. And, you know, I was in Texas the other day. I said, wait a minute. The other side is against guns. They're against oil and gas. They're against religion, Bible, God. How's he going to win Texas? How's he going to win Texas? So he's not going to win Texas. He's not going to win Ohio. Bob told me we're better now in Ohio than we were four years ago. I'll take the same victory, but I think we're better. So, I just want to tell you that my first week in office, I canceled the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was a disaster. I canceled the so-called Clean Water Power Plan, the Clean Power Plan, which only had a nice name. It took all of your land away. I've been given more credit for that maybe than anything. It gave you back your rights, it gave you back your freedom. I canceled the so-called Clean Power Plan withdrew the United States from unfair Paris Climate Accord, which was costing us a fortune, which was meant against us, which was pitted against us, and ended the war in American energy. We're now number one in the world in energy, energy production. We renegotiated the Korea trade deal, which was a disaster. I imported and came in with what we took into our country and then put out. But most importantly, I imposed historic tariffs on China and stood up to China's rampant trading abuses. They had the worst year in 67 years. We had the best year we've ever had. And now we're going back to that again. And then, of course, I passed the largest tax cuts in the history of our country and the largest regulation cuts in the history of our country. We got rid of all of those job-killing regulations, and that's one of the reasons that not only did we do well, but we're doing well. And you'll see numbers coming out. They're coming out very well, including, look at the stock market. We're almost at an all-time high, and NASDAQ, a month ago just hit the highest it's ever been. So to me, that means uh, one of the things I did in Lima, you know Lima? We saved your tank plant, and I came in, and it was gone, and I said, give me a tour of the tank plant, and we went to Lima. I looked at it, and I said, supposing we need tanks. Well, I guess we have to buy them overseas. That's no good. And I said, I canceled the order to say, I saved it. And now it's doing business like it's never done before. And I'm very proud. That was a very personal thing for me. When I went through that plant, I'm pretty good at this stuff. When I went through that plant, I 
said, you can't rebuild this, and more importantly, you'll never get people that can build. They're very, very complicated and complex. And I said, you'll never get people to do this job again. So I just want to thank you. You've been with me, all of you, from the beginning. I want to thank you. We're taking a helicopter ride. You know where we're going over to World. But I wanted to thank you. I wanted to say you're a very special group of people. We're going to win bigger in Ohio now than we did four years ago. And we're very proud of what we've done. We've built the greatest economy in the history of the world, better than any other nation by far. And then the plague was released by China. Whether it was incompetent or other reasons, it got out. It didn't get out to China, but it got out to the U.S. and to Europe and to a lot of other countries, 188 countries, and we will not forget that. We will not be forgetting that. But now we're rebuilding. We closed it. We saved millions of lives, and now we're reopening. We want our schools open. We want our buildings open, our, our office buildings open. We want to get back to business, and we're doing it. And it's looking more and more like, just as I predicted, it's going to be a V. Did you see yesterday? Auto production, one of the highest numbers they've ever seen. Used car sales, one of the highest numbers, I think the highest number they've ever seen. Those are big numbers. So we're doing really well. We're going to have a tremendous third quarter, but we're going to have a fantastic next year. Ohio, I love you, and I love all of these incredible workers. Thank you. Right from the beginning, thank you very much. And I'll see you soon. We're going to go and help Whirlpool right now. So long, everybody. So that was the president. I'm probably going to see him fly by soon. Uh, he's heading off to Whirlpool, and it's uh, quite interesting that he's going there. And then he's going off to a uh, very private uh, fundraising event. Again, I could have gone, but circumstances, and it's purposeful. I was just like, hey, you think I'll get a knock on my door from, like, <laughs> Secret Service? Hey, Tori, put some pants on. Let's go. No. <laughs> That's he's amazing, isn't he? He is amazing. Yeah, I, I Air Force One was uh, out. I caught it. Oh, there it is. Hold on. Let's just uh, hold on a second, guys. Let me just put um, something on so it's not just dead. There we go. Hold on. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless.